Most of us uh, spend a lot of time in front of uh, one of these. It's a mirror. And when you uh, look in the mirror, what do you see? When you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror, what do you what do you see? What um, what do you think other people see? Maybe that's what you do. You look and you're, you wonder what other people see. When you look in the mirror, do you see yourself as God sees you? Do you see yourself as a person who was made in God's image? Or when you look in the mirror, do you look and you go, you know, they're not enough. They're just not enough. Maybe you look in the mirror and you go, that person's not beautiful. They're not handsome. But when you look in the mirror, when you wake up each morning, what do you see? Now, we all want to look good, don't we? That's why we look in the mirror, to see if we look good. I mean, there's a piece of each and every one of us that wants to look our best. We all do that. And to some extent, all of us struggle with insecurities and and how we look on the outside when we look in the mirror. None of us are exempt of that. Now, I kind of thought that I was. I really didn't care what people thought I looked like until I turned 40. And when I turned 40, I had to buy this. The micro groomsman. Because uh, what happens when you turn 40, hair starts growing in places that you just didn't think it would ever grow. Like your ears way down deep and in your nostrils. And, you know, sometimes my eyebrows get all out of whack and Jennifer, my wife, will come up to me and say, get the weed eater out, you know. So we all, we all have that. I wrestle with it too. Uh, for those of you who are guys, when you go to the workout gym and you stand in front of the mirror and you're doing some curls and you're like, whoa, I look pretty good. I'm ripped. And then all of a sudden another guy walks in and mu- muscles are like bulging out everywhere and they start lifting twice as much as you can. And you look and you're like, I'm not ripped. I got ripped off. You know, like I got ripped off. All of a sudden, the joy that you had when you were looking in the mirror and all the confidence just like goes away and your identity gets stolen because you got mugged by the mirror. Our culture is obsessed with outward appearance. Remember the reality TV show that was like the hottest show, Extreme Makeover? And the whole point was that you don't look good enough the way that you are, so you've got to have this extreme makeover, plastic surgery. I saw a statistic this week that uh, stated this. Americans collectively last year spent a whopping $11 billion dollars. 
I didn't say 11 million. I said 11 billion dollars on facelifts, Botox injections, breast augmentations, and various other purely aesthetic and technically unnecessary cosmetic procedures. But the reality is, is that this idea doesn't just stay with adults, but it kind of leaks down into our culture all the way to toddlers. I don't know if, uh, how, how many of you have ever seen uh, the show Toddlers and Tierras? Like some of you don't want to raise your hand, right? You're like, I, I have to, and I've seen it. Now, I want to show you a recent contestant. This was a recent contestant. This is what she had. Fake hair extensions, fake eyelashes, caked on makeup, fake teeth, a stripper outfit, and a sprayed on tan. You know how old she is? Six years old. And from an early age, what we learn is that we need to be obsessed with the way that we look, with our image. And because of it, I think that we're in an identity crisis. Michelle Graham uh, wrote a great book. I'd encourage many of you uh, women to, to think about reading it, but she targets it towards women. And it's called Wanting to Be Hurt. And she talks about that in 1959, a new kid on the block entered that was going to be the cultural icon for all young little girls to follow after. And do you remember who was born in 1959? Barbie. Barbie. And you know what? Barbie is an anatomical freak. I mean, if you do the math on her proportions, folks, what you'd find is that she's seven foot, five inches tall. You would have to take two ribs off from each side so that you get that hourglass shape. And, you know, Barbie, she never had complexion problems, right? No zit Barbie exists, right? She was just like the perfect woman. Now listen to what Michelle Graham writes. She says, this is the image that has been marketed to young girls over all the world as an inspiration to womanhood. And we eat it up. Barbie has become a $1.5 billion industry. Now, don't worry, I'm not on a Barbie burning crusade, she continues. I'm certainly no expert on the psychological effects of Barbie on young children. But I do know, at a very young age, I myself bought into the idea that unless my Barbie was physically perfect, she wasn't as good as the other Barbies on the block. In fact, she embarrassed me. Then she writes... As I grew into adulthood, I left my Barbie behind. Unfortunately, I struggle with the belief that unless I am physically perfect, I am somehow not as valuable as everyone else. Yeah, yeah, Barbie moved out, but Victoria's Secret moved in. And she wrote, There's nothing quite like a glance at a Victoria's Secret catalog to invoke a flood of insecurities and feelings of disappointment. Any of you who are women, have you ever experienced that? Man, if, if I could only look like that, 
I read a recent study they did with women, and 70 percent of, of the women they surveyed felt depressed, guilty, and shameful after looking at a fashion magazine for only three minutes. Three minutes. I mean, all you have to do is flip the remote control to see what our culture thinks. And it's a very clear statement. And we bought into the lie that says our value is directly proportionate to our physical attractiveness. We think if I only look that way, if I look attractive, then I'll be fulfilled. I'll be accepted. I'll be admired. I'll be respected. I'll be loved. I'll be significant. Guys will want me. Girls will want me. Employers will hire me. Friends will want to be with me. Friends will want to be me. And that lie gets reinforced day after day after day. Did you know that the average American woman is five foot four, 166 pounds? But the average model is five foot nine, 109 pounds. I saw a statistic this week. Over the last 30 years, every Miss America winner was on the verge of malnutrition. And I've got to ask folks, is this image even real? Don't you know that professionals are paid to make stars and models look great? There is duct tape, folks, put in places to make things either look bigger or smaller. Jennifer and I used to have a friend. She was a model and uh, she's still our friend. And she's a model and uh, she had done all these pageants. And she told me about this duct tape stuff. I'm like, you're kidding me. She's like, no. And when you run out of duct tape at a pageant, you're in trouble. I mean, you'd think it'd be a plumber, right? But it's not. It's the pageant. They paint on makeup. They can paint on makeup, folks, to make you look like you have a six-pack when you really got a two-liter. <laughs> Photos get airbrushed all the time. It's a completely phony image, folks. When you get the magazine or you look on the Internet, nobody really looks like that. Actress Julianne Moore in Ladies Home Journal. I read it in my spare time. (laughs) She said this. There is so much illusion in photography and in movies. I know an actress friend who was looking at a photo in a magazine and she said, why don't I look like that? And then she looked a little bit closely And it was her. Friends, most of us can't come close to those images. Genetically, our bodies could never pull it off. In many cases, it would be unhealthy to do it. But unfortunately, the lie gets reinforced and it flows down into the lives of young girls every single day. You know, it's been a plan of Satan since the very beginning of time to distort our image, to distort the image of God. 
and to steal our identity. In fact, Jesus called Satan the father of all lies. Look at what it says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And you know, this, uh, this image got started a long time ago when the thief entered a garden called Eden. And look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make people in our own image to be like ourselves. They will be masters over all life. The fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the livestock, wild animals and small animals. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself. Male and female, he created them. God saw what he made, and it was, what's the next word? Barry. Remember that on Easter? Day six, when he creates human beings... He doesn't use the word very in any other day, but when he gets human beings, he says it's very good. This all happened on the sixth day. Now check out Genesis 2.25. It says the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Now I was raised a PK, pastor's kid. I, I sat in front of my dad. I heard tons of messages in my life. But, you know, as a kid, I can't remember my dad ever teaching on this topic. You know, I mean, what do you do with that passage? They were naked and unashamed. Were they buff? You know, I mean, what was the deal? Well, this is why the writer writes these words. He says that they were not ashamed because they walked with God. And they walked in a way that they were in his image. And they felt no shame. Now look at Genesis chapter 3. The thief enters. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know what? That's been his pickup line for centuries, right? Did, did God really say that? Come on. Did God really say that he loves you? You're pretty messed up. Come on. Did God really say that you were accepted, secure, and significant? Seriously? Did God really say that you're beautiful? Did God really say that you're enough? Did God really say that you're the apple of his eye? Come on, get real. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent's like, no, you're not going to die. God's just on an ego trip. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know what? They stood in that garden, that man and that woman, and they bought into the lie. They said, you know what? He's right. God's been holding back on us. 
And they went ahead and they took the forbidden fruit and they looked at each other and they looked in the mirror. They looked at the thing that was the image of God and they said, this is not enough. It's not enough. And we've distorted this image, folks. And we've chosen to feel shame. And when we look in the mirror, this is what we see. We see shame. I'm not enough. And so they covered themselves up with fig leaves. And friends, ever since that day, you and me and our kids and our grandkids have been trying to cover up the shame. We've been trying to recreate ourselves in a different image other than who God created us to be. And we're trying to create an image that is based upon what the culture says. And as we do that, folks, as we try to make that image, it just pulls us further and further away from God. It pulls us away from the one who said, you are loved, you are accepted, you're secure, you're significant. And it makes us empty. Because even though we were made in the image of God, we don't believe it. Now, we can blame the culture for the lie that our value is connected with our looks. But the reality is, folks, before the media ever gets to little boys and little girls, parents and grandparents have influence on their kids. Iris Sacker, co-author of Dying to Bethin, writes this. Some of my patients who are just out of nursery school, think about that, folks. Her patients, they just get out of nursery school, and this is what they tell her. Tell me that they're fat. Turns out their moms are saying the same thing about themselves. I don't know how to best show this to you than having you look at a clip from the movie Spanglish where there's a young, sensitive girl and an insensitive, insecure mom. Let's take a look at the clip. Hey, surprise! New clothes! What? Oh. Oh. What did I do right? <laughs> Warehouse sale. Oh. 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 Lord. oh, that went nuts. I got so much stuff. Great, you needed a boost. <laughs> uh. Come on, Bernie, you're going to do it, and, and you're going to look beautiful. 
Oh, honey, I just... You are going to lose that weight. And... Oh, oh. You know, I'm... Uh, I'm glad you didn't get here earlier because... Uh, then I wouldn't be able to tell you that uh, your gift to me is a ruse. Oh, honey, Dad, just please, just excuse me. Folks, what would happen if parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and neighbors and friends just decided that Every time they would speak to little boys and little girls, that they would only use words that would build them up and not tear them down. What would happen if the insecure mom and the insensitive dad were replaced with the words from a loving, heavenly father? What would make that happen? What difference would that make? Well, I hope it does, because for the rest of our time, what I want to do is give you some encouragement on how, through God's words, through the Bible, we can learn how to overcome being mugged by the mirror. And for the sake of this topic, I've decided to call it Victorious secrets. Okay? Victorious secrets. So here we go. Here's the first victorious secret from God. You've got to know what God says. You've got to know what God says. If you want to overcome the lie, you've got to know what God says. Now, last week we talked about how important it is to know what God says about His love for you. So let's look again at Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17. Let's read this out loud together. It'll come up on the side screens. Let's read it out loud. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. The guy who wrote that was a guy by the name of Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And he said, the biggest thing that I want you to grasp is how high, how wide, how deep, and how long the love of God is for you. you got to know what the Bible says about you so that you can then be captured By his unfailing love. I mean, when I know what God says about me, I don't have to fret about looking just right in order to get accepted by someone else. Because I realize I'm already accepted. I don't have to hide behind the right pair of jeans because I know very, very well that God loves me and he doesn't make mistakes. And he tells me through Jesus Christ that I'm accepted, that I'm secure, and that I'm significant. I'm enough 
Because this is what it is, folks. God's love is one size fits all. God's love is one size fits all. I love this quote from uh, Henry Nouwen. He says this, Even though you may not be chosen by the world, you are chosen by God. Every time you listen to his voice, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It's like discovering a well in a desert. You know, my prayer for you guys this week and over this last month actually has been that you would understand how much God is head over hills in love with you. That you would know how high and how wide and how long and how deep His love is for you. And the way that you understand that, folks, is you wake up in the morning and you renew your mind. Look at what Romans 12 says. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will accept. When you think of what He has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will know that you, then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. Folks, when my wife and I first got married, her self-esteem and image in the mirror was so horrible that she wouldn't look in the mirror. And one of the things that I would pray with her every day is I'd say, Honey, let's look in the mirror. And I would pray, God, may Jennifer today see the beautiful image That you've created in her. And it took us about 11 years. But she finally looks in the mirror now. And she sees herself as beautiful. Not because the world says that. But because God says that. You know what, husbands, if you want to lead your house, one of the things you could do is make sure that your wife's self-esteem and image is so great that when they help to raise your kids, your kids will have high self-esteem. Why? Because they've gone through a world that says you're not enough. Be more like Cosmo Girl. Some of you need to pray for your wives like that. Friends, you've got to start renewing your mind daily. You know what? You just say, I refuse to buy this lie anymore. I am not going to let a magazine cover or a bathroom scale or a workout club mirror take me captive. I will not be held prisoner by a silly reflection of a piece of glass. Do you realize that that's all that is? It's just a piece of glass. I will pursue nothing but the image of God in me. I will accept God's amazing love and I will renew my mind daily. 
You say, I'm tired of flipping through 17 or Cosmo or Shape or Muscle Fitness and saying, if I could only look like that. And what I would strongly encourage you is that you get this book open and you start flipping in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And you look inside that and you see Jesus's life and you go, you know what? That's what I want to look like. I want to look like him. And folks, you renew your mind. And when that happens, the image changes. The second thing you need to learn is you need to see how God sees. If you're going to overcome being mugged by the mirror, you've got to learn to see how God sees. That's our victorious secret. I mean, it's one thing to look beautiful. It's another thing to really be beautiful. You ever had this experience before? You meet somebody and they're like drop dead gorgeous. Or they're like really, really handsome. And you just kind of sit there and you're, you know, this doesn't happen with women as much, I don't think. But guys will sit there. I've seen it before. They go like this. Okay. And you see them and then all of a sudden you introduce, you start to talk to them a little bit and pretty soon... They are not as gorgeous as you thought they were. Any of you remember, uh, it's a movie that my wife Jennifer and I, we love to watch reruns of it, a movie called As Good As It Gets. There were two people in it, uh, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, and Jack was this very neurotic individual. And uh, he would go to this restaurant every single day, and Helen Hunt was a server there. And one day, she looks at him, And uh, she says, you know what? When you first walked in, you were very handsome, but then you opened your mouth. (laughs) You ever met somebody like that before? I mean, beauty and handsomeness is an inside kind of thing. At least that's the way that God sees it. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel 16. There's this guy named Samuel. God comes to him and says, Samuel, I want you to go and find the next king. And Samuel goes on this mad uh, expedition of trying to find the best looking, the strongest, the most handsome kind of person. And then God says this, do not consider his his, his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, what's it say? What's it say? The heart. Growing up as a kid, one of my favorite sitcoms was Sanford and Son. Anybody remember that growing up? Like if you're under 40 right now, just Google it. Okay, just go ahead, Google it, or you'll watch it on like BET old times or something like that. But, you know, it's a good show. You should watch it. And I loved it. I still watch it. And Fred Sanford is the key actor of uh, this show. And Fred was very, very funny. But he also had connected to him a sister-in-law named Aunt Esther. Here she is. And remember her? She was mean and nasty and hateful. And Fred was like always fighting with her all the time and making fun. And he was always saying how ugly she was. Just like ugly. And one of my favorite episodes was Fred's out fishing and he comes in and he has all of these fish. And he walks into the house and 
uh, Aunt Esther is there, and so is his son, Lamont. And his son says, hey, Pop, how did you catch all those fish? And Fred looks directly at Aunt Esther, and then he says, well, I was down, and I was fishing at the dock, and then all of a sudden, Esther jumped in the water. And when all the fish saw her, they jumped onto the dock. And I picked up all the fish. That's just the way Fred was. Now, folks, I've been waiting for this day for 20 years. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I have not been able to do a Fred Sanford quote until today. Okay? So here it is. This is from Fred. This is what Fred would say. Beauty is skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. You know? And you know what? To be honest, theologically, he's not that far off. In the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, there's a guy by the name of Absalom. Remember his story? He was the the son of the king. He was going to become the king. And in 2 Samuel, this is what it says about him. It says, In all of Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his feet, there was no blemish in him. I mean, this guy had it going on. But internally, there was nothing beautiful about him. He was prideful. He was arrogant. He was rebellious. He was a violent man, and he died a violent death. And I think Fred Sanford was right. Ugly goes all the way to the bone. Now, folks, it's not a sin to look good. It's not a sin to wear makeup. It's not a sin to put gel in your hair. But it's a sin to think that your beauty depends on those things. Now, we not only obsess about the way that we look, but one of the things, too, is we obsess about the clothes that we wear. Just go to any high school in our community and you'll find that they obsess about what they wear. So, for those of you who are in high school... I'm just going to give you some fashion tips today, okay? Fashion tips from Pastor Chris that is in the Bible. These are some hot trends for this season. But it's not just this season, but every season. It never goes out of style, folks. Never go out of style. Here it is, Colossians 3. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without. You know, the way I think we could really help each other is if we walked around and we said things like this. Man, you look hot in that compassion. You, you say, whoa, 
that gentleness like fits you so well. Or that humility, wow, looks so good on you. Folks, if we're going to handle this whole obsession deal, this whole body image, we've got to help each other to see how God sees and how beauty really is. So you know what God says, you see what God sees, and then thirdly, you love who God loves. You love who God loves. If you want to get a grip on the obsession with yourself, you take your eyes off of yourself and you actually put them on someone else. Jesus put it this way. It's one of the greatest commandments. He gave two. Love God. And then the second one was love your neighbor. What? As yourself. Folks, when you throw yourself into other people, you take your eyes off yourself. Audrey Hepburn, who was maybe one of the most famous and best-looking actresses in the history of Hollywood. She said this, For attractive lips speak words of kindness. For lovely eyes seek out good in people. For a slim figure share food with the hungry. For beautiful hair let a child run his, wet, run his or her fingers through it once a day. For poise walk with the knowledge that you never walk alone. If you're obsessing with the way that you look, and some of you are, what you need to do is take the eyes off yourself. I mean, it's hard to look at yourself when you're in a nursing home and you're clipping the toenails of an 85-year-old arthritic old woman. You don't really care at that moment what you look like. When you're serving meals... At Morningstar Bread Basket, which some of you should sign up for, when you're serving meals there, folks, to people who are homeless or people who have little or nothing, you don't really care what clothes you're wearing. I mean, you're not obsessed with these things because you're losing yourself and loving another person and serving them. This past week, we've had a group in Tijuana, Mexico on a mission trip. And I love it when people go on mission trips. I, many of you will consider doing so in the fall. But I love uh, going on mission trips because what happens is it usually takes a couple days. But the first couple days, everyone's like, you know, oh, you know, I got to show myself. I look good, good, you know. And then after a couple of days and their hands are getting dirty and they're with some impoverished, poor people, all of a sudden they don't care about fashion anymore. They don't care what they look like. When you're serving people, poor people, people who are eating out of a landfill, people who are orphans, you don't care. And I'll tell you what is some of the most beautiful scenes in my life is watching people serve the least of these. It's one of the most beautiful images that God has. Now, folks, we must love our neighbor and love God, but there's a word in that commandment that many of us don't realize how powerful it is. It says, love your neighbor, then what's the next word? What is it? As. Many of us don't realize how important that word is. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
In other words, folks, you can't love your neighbor unless you love yourself and you see yourself as God sees you. If you're really going to love other people, you've got to learn to love yourself. Not in a narcissistic way, not in a self-help book kind of way, but in a way in which God says, I love you, so I want you to love yourself. And then I can use you to love other people. Now, if you would, in your program, there was a little insert. It looks like this. It'll come up on the side screen. like everybody to pull it out for a second. It says celebrate recovery on it. And each Thursday night at 7 o'clock, there are a group of people that meet here. Now, one of the things that I've started to notice over the last few months is that I think some people think that what Celebrate Recovery is about is if you have a substance issue. It's not. It's much bigger and greater than that. It's if you have any issue. And I'd ask you to raise your hands, but you'd all have to raise them, and then I'd have to call some of you liars. But all of you have issues. You all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I went through this for the first two years that we started because I wanted to get better. And some of you do, but you just don't do anything to get better. So if you have an issue, look at these things. Pride, stress, finances. Self-esteem, anxiety, relationships, alcohol, codependency, depression, medical issues, drug dependency. If you struggle, if you battle with any of those things, why would you keep going through that? Why not get well? Get healthy. 7 o'clock, Thursday. Stop hurting and get healthy. Seek His healing. So you know what God says, you see what God sees, you love who God loves, and finally, you reflect who God is. You reflect who God is. Friends, that's why you were made. You were made to reflect the image of God, of His glory, of His love. That would flow through us to God. And it would flow through us to other people. Did you know that God, when we come to a relationship with Him, He actually lives inside us? His Spirit lives inside us. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Isn't that cool? You were bought with a high price. In other words, God didn't just buy you off a clearance rack. He didn't buy you as a blue light special. He didn't buy you as a trinket from the flea market. He created you as a masterpiece. And the scripture says then, honor God with your body. He made it and lives in it. Your body is the temple. So when you realize that, you know what? You say, well, I'm I'm going to use my temple in a way that honors him. I'm not going to trash the temple anymore. God, you gave me this body and I'm going to treat it well. I'm going to bring glory from it 
not attention to myself, but I want to point other people to the one who lives inside of me. Now, folks, listen, it's okay to decorate your temple. It's okay to take care of your temple. It's okay to get some home improvement, you know what I mean, if you need it. But the goal is not to draw attention to yourself. The goal is to draw attention to the one who lives inside you. And when we dress or carry ourselves in a way in which we are inviting other people to worship our bodies, we rob God of the worship that he alone is due. You know, since I turned 40, um, my body's really started to break down. In fact, I wanted to run the mini marathon yesterday, and I tore my AC, or I uh, had a partial tear of my ACL in my right knee, and my calf is like all messed up. And so I had to find some encouragement, and I found it. 2 Corinthians 4, it's become my new favorite verse. This is what it says. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making a new life, not a day goes by without His unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. This past week, uh, we had a little birthday party for my daughters. Their birthdays are real close to each other, and so we had this party, and we invited the whole family in. And my wife and I were getting ready to uh, escort my mother-in-law and father-in-law to their car, to their car, and so we walk out to their car. And my mother-in-law, I open the door for her, and she turns around, and she kind of looks at me, and she goes, Boy, you're getting a lot of gray hair. <laughs> and then I decked her. No, I'm joking. I did. But that comment, what it did was I started looking at some pictures this week to kind of kind of look, you know, like, what did I look like then and now? And so we've got something here. And I look back on that picture and I thought, I don't even know that person anymore. I mean, back then. You know, I had no gray hair. I was in shape. I was kind of buff, you know, for me. And that picture was so amazing. But I was thinking about it this week. You know what I really want people to know? I really want people to know the before and after picture of when Jesus Christ came into my life. Of who I am. Because Christ is in me. You see, back in the day, that picture on the left, uh, you know, I had no gray hair. But I was ugly. Ugly to the bone. I had some pretty tight abs, good pecs, but I made fun of people all the time. I was very insensitive. 
It was kind of fashionable back in the day. The clothes seemed to look pretty good on me. But I dressed myself in anger and malice and envy and impure thoughts and lust and pride. I let the thief distort the image of who God created me to be and he stole my identity. But then I drew closer to God and God reached toward me. And Jesus Christ filled this hole in my heart. And through the years, folks, I've had countless reconstructive surgeries. He's done an extreme makeover on me and on my soul. But you know what the good news is? He's not done. And with internal focus, I can say proudly standing here today, I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. Let's stand for closing prayer. Hey, if you struggle with identity, why not get prayed for today? I invite our prayer team to come up. They'd love to pray with you. So let's pray. God, I uh, come to you today and I pray that the time that we've spent in this place, that we would recognize more clearly when the thief comes and says, did God really say that? And we can go, yeah, he did. And I believe it. I'm accepted. I'm loved. I'm secure. I'm significant. God looks at me and he says, man, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're handsome. I made you exactly that way because I love you. God, I pray that we would help to see ourselves as you see us. That we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And that we would refuse to let anything determine our worth. God, would you stamp upon our hearts that even when the world doesn't choose us, we're chosen by you. And that's enough. God, thank you for the teaching today. Help us not just throw our program away, but let us go back to it. Throughout this week, reading these scriptures and allowing ourselves to be encouraged by you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're visiting for the first time, we'd love to give you a free gift. Just go to Guest Connections. Know that you're loved in this place. If you can help with Teardown, we'd love it. Thanks.